Welcome to the Accelevation Community Podcast, where we connect with athletes and experts from across the globe to inspire and educate. Through this podcast, our goal is to elevate the sports injury recovery experience. I'm your host, Michelle Yeep, and let's elevate. We're here today with Dr. Paul Marks, Medical Director for the Toronto Raptors and Orthopedic Surgeon at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. Dr. Marks has a special interest in sports medicine, arthroscopy, and reconstruction of the shoulder and knee, and he's helped a ton of people make successful comebacks over the years, including both professional athletes as well as your everyday weekend warriors. Having been a patient of his, I have to say that I am incredibly grateful that he's helped me get back to being able to do what I love again. I first went to see Dr. Marks after I'd been through a few ACL reconstructions which didn't quite work out. A few people then said to me, you have to see this guy named Dr. Marks, he can help you. And sure enough, I met with Dr. Marks, he did a two-stage ACL revision. And after a long recovery season, I was finally able to make a comeback. Now let's hear from Dr. Marks himself. We'll explore his journey as he takes us through his experiences and insights in the world of sports medicine. Let's jump right in. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Very nice to be here with you, Michelle, and uh, appreciate the invitations. So to start off, we want to help the community get to know a bit more about your story. Can you walk us through your journey and how you went from literally wanting to become a rock star to studying computer science and then getting to where you are now as a surgeon? Yes, I, I guess at the beginning in high school, I did want to be a rock star. Um, played in bands and uh, guitar and so forth. So, um, But then I went to uh, uh, University of Western Ontario at the time, now called Western University, and uh, to study computer science and mathematics. And I was very interested in uh, artificial intelligence, but I always uh, wanted to be a surgeon. And mid second year, uh, picked up my additional science courses to go to medical school with the sole purpose of pursuing surgery. And I had very early uh, influence with Dr. Gross at the University of Toronto as a surgeon, and decided I wanted to do orthopedics. And I subsequently pursued that at Western University. And then I did two years of fellowship, which is additional training after your residency uh, in the United States and in Europe uh, with some top surgeons to um, identify uh, different procedures that can be done uh, and come back to Canada. So um, after my fellowships, I came back on staff at the University of Toronto, and we've been involved with uh, things since that time. Wow, what a journey. It's an interesting transition and definitely not the typical path. What inspired you to want to become a surgeon? Well, I just, uh, I guess from playing guitar, as we go back mm-hmm. to that, those days, it was uh, probably pretty good training for my hands. So I was always <laughs> nice. interested in that through the computer aspect. I like so- solving uh, problems or puzzles mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and all of those things kind of came together as a composition in a sense. And I was able to combine all of the things I was interested in. Oh, wow. And that led to surgery. 
it's interesting how the skills can be so transferable in ways that you wouldn't normally expect. And I guess the dots all connect, especially looking backwards. So after that, how did you end up getting involved with the Raptors? Well, after um, coming back on staff, I had heard that the uh, NBA was going to expand into Canada, uh, into Vancouver and Toronto. And uh, at the time I applied for the position, which was now 25 years ago, um, I was the only person with an American sports medicine fellowship in surgery. And also I had MBA um, uh, pre-experience, let's say, by doing, uh, looking after the NCAA basketball at University of Pittsburgh. And uh, when I came back to Toronto, um, I applied for the job and I was fortunate to to get that as a young surgeon and wow, now 25 awesome. years later here we are so and it's uh, worked out quite well so um, and of course we had great success last year because we had a great team players coaches everybody participated in uh, trying to get us to the championship being part of that championship win must have been amazing I can only imagine and so having worked with both professional and recreational athletes or weekend warriors in what ways would you say the recovery experience and process differ? Well, I think there is all human uh, anatomy. I remember one of the basketball players hurt himself. He was uh, well-known, won't use names. And we had to say to the agent and the management and uh, so forth that the collagen or connective tissue in that athlete didn't know it was in that superhuman athlete that it's human connective tissue, it has certain parameters, it takes a certain amount of time, and then we had to be respectful of that and ultimately uh, get them back through the process. I think there are different um, issues at stake with different people, but the vast majority of my patients over time are hardworking Canadians who just want to be more mm -hmm. active. Yeah. They're the, quote, weekend warriors, mm -hmm. you know, that they just want to participate in their own pursuits athletically or with their friends or uh, children. And everybody has their own goals, and that's what we work with to try to achieve those and get people back into action. And so some athletes or weekend warriors make a comeback, but others don't. What do you think separates the athletes or the people who do return to sport and um, get back to the playing field compared to the ones that don't? Uh, no, excellent question. I think, first of all, the most important thing will be what the injury was. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some injuries that can be quite uh, career limiting and can certainly impact performance afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, and other injuries that we have more success with based on research and rehabilitation and, and a whole team of people working to get that person back to the highest level of recovery. And uh, I think also there are physical aspects that are very important. So sometimes you just feel like you're lining up the person's connective tissue and um, and then they have to go through the healing response, which you don't have total control over. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, it's a combination. It's a team effort. So there are other uh, people involved with the process, uh, therapists and various practitioners that might help facilitate the recovery. Those are critical. Mm -hmm. But one of the most important things is the psychological aspects for that individual. So they, they may decide, look... Um, uh, I'm just not going back to that sport. There, there was an yeah. example I can give of uh, one of the Canadian Olympic skiers who had a pretty terrible injury to his knee. Uh, one of the mogul skiers, very high-level international athlete. Uh, we had to spend quite a number of hours reconstructing his knee, 
with multiple ligaments and transplants, and he re- rehabbed extremely, uh, extremely hard. And he got back to land training. He did a triathlon. Wow. He was ready to go back on skis. Mm-hmm. And for a joke, uh, I was told that the coach had showed everybody videos of their injuries and their falls. And he had never seen his injury before that. He was completely okay. ready to go back. Yeah. And as soon as he saw the, the images of his fall, mm-hmm. he said, I'm done. I'm not doing that again. Oh, wow. So there is clear that there are physical aspects that people have to rehabilitate through. Mm-hmm. But there's also very important, as I said, psychological aspects. And sometimes after an anterior crucial ligament reconstruction, for example, mm-hmm. we, we say maybe one year for the knee and one year for the head. You oh, know, wow. So people have to get over that. Mm-hmm. And those are very important aspects of the recovery that we've been studying. And we published some research on this. But I think in the future, we'll have a better understanding of all these different facets of the recovery process that aren't just physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess there isn't too much currently being done with the mental side when it comes to injury recovery. It seems like not too many people who go through these injuries work with sports psychologists and all that. And it hasn't really been part of the recovery in general no and i think it's really important because um that's going to help someone achieve and and again most people are weekend warriors they're just active participants and but they still want to be active one of the big things we've been working on recently is developing strategies to educate people about trying to avoid development of osteoarthritis or wearing out of their joints after these types of injuries particularly in the knee model yeah and we're trying to discern who are the best practitioners in the whole process to educate people, what are the materials that can be developed to help people uh, avoid arthritic change in the future. Some people, no matter what you might educate them with, are, are at risk. Mm-hmm. They may have had meniscus cartilages taken out um, or not repaired. Uh, they might get overweight, let's say. There's, there are many mm-hmm. variables that we're looking at to try to understand and who is best help with that the the surgeon the therapist a a team psychologist or a psychologist in general um, because there are all these different people who are part of the uh, medical team that are that can all play a role and I think it's really important and I think in future it'll become much more multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. so that won't just be the surgeon it will be all these other people that help the person get through the process and and achieve the highest level of return so that they can uh, maximize their quality of life. I Mm -hmm. think those are really important things. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see the future of this and just how it all develops. So there's a lot of debate around graft type for ACL surgeries, and you've done a ton of them. Is there one type of graft that you use more than others? And how do you decide which type of graft to use? Have you seen greater success with certain grafts than others or... Uh, excellent question, Michelle. Thank you. So we do use uh, various graphs. Um, sometimes asked, like, what's the future? And I would imagine that um, someone might take a cell from your ear and grow it in a test tube and uh, attach it to some biologic mm-hmm. scaffolding and maybe a robot puts it in the joint. Mm-hmm. But we're not uh, anywhere near that at this point. Um, I think that there are various different graphs. And what I try to do is custom fit the graft to the patient. So if um, a patient is a very young active contact athlete, male or female, I tend to use a patellar tendon, a bone tendon bone. If a patient is a lower demand person, 
I might use a hamstring, or there might be religious reasons for someone praying and getting on their knees, and then maybe a hamstring might make more sense. And if someone is over 50 in general, I might consider using a transplant or what we call an allograft. Um, and so I, you can't just use a, put a square peg in a round hole for every yeah. patient. You, you have to kind of custom fit. And I think in doing so, you kind of maximize um, the outcome for that person. And what's interesting is one of my mentors, Dr. Fowler, he was an Order of Canada uh, person, he, he used to say, I used to ask him what the gold standard graph was. And he used to tell me that it was the normal knee and no surgeon's that good, right? So you can't make the knee the way it was in the first place. Yeah. We try to maximize that, get as close to that as we can, approximate it, but you can't make it the same as it was before. Mm-hmm. And, but that's the goal, okay. is to get that person back, restore their anatomy, whether it's not just the ligament itself, but also it could be the meniscus cartilage by sewing that or saving that um, and, and trying to get them back to their pre-accident strength and mobility and function. So all of these things are very important factors in the whole process. So for meniscus cartilage, a lot of people are concerned about losing that cartilage and then developing arthritis down the line. What are your thoughts on the development of meniscus surgery? Do you think they'll be able to find other ways to replace that meniscus? Well, again, another excellent question. So people used to just take out the meniscus cartilage, what we call a fibrocartilage, because they thought it was like the appendix. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, some smart surgeons and doctors realized that these things survived evolution you believe in that, you know, millions of years. And so they have some purpose. And so what became uh, really uh, important research is trying to figure out ways to repair the meniscus, either by suturing it or saving it or taking out the smallest amount, because we know that the more meniscus you take out, that can lead to degenerative change. Mm-hmm. But there are many, many other factors, of course. There are genetic things. There's alignment of the knee, which meniscus was taken out, how much was taken out, um, and this sort of thing, and whether you, you can get these to heal in the, in the first instance if you do try to repair them. But always, uh, one would imagine, uh, it's always been clear to me that you have to try to restore anatomy. So if you can save the meniscus, that's probably the best. Mm-hmm. Even if you repair some of these, they can still go on to some degenerative change. But we do know for sure, if you take out a whole meniscus, that there's a very high probability, if not certainty, someone's going to get arthritis. So that's one of the biggest factors. You also want to have people control other factors, like I spoke earlier about, with you have a whole team working on people to understand what the other variables are. For example, not gaining too much weight or getting fit or keeping strong, getting your motion back after an injury or surgery. And just to be clear, there's a lot, there are a lot of patients that we, we suggest they don't have surgery, which is a big part of the job. Everyone thinks mm-hmm. you're a surgeon, you know, uh, people are coming to you and everyone's going to get surgery, but many patients are counseled in my practice not to have surgery. Let's see if we can rehabilitate things, get your motion back, get your strength back, uh, maybe get a brace, talk about activity modification or changing a sport, let's say, if it's reasonable, mm-hmm. and, and trying to, again, custom fit the procedure or the not procedure to each yeah. patient. So you asked about grafts, but sometimes maybe it's more appropriate you know, to counsel someone not to have surgery. 
So for those who tear their ACL and decide not to have surgery, I guess some are still able to get back on the quarter field and play their sport, right? You know, certainly everyone's different. Some people have great neural or nerve capacity to overcome certain things, mm -hmm. position sense and strength and things like that, so that they can get back and function with or without a brace. Some people have partial injuries and they can do quite well with just rehabilitation. So not every patient requires a surgery and it's a responsibility of the surgeon to try to counsel people to do the appropriate thing. Yeah, that's good for people to know because a lot of people who tear their ACL automatically assume or are being told by others that if they want to play sports again, the only option is surgery. And I don't know, maybe there just aren't enough stories out there being shared about the people who make a comeback and do well without having to go through a reconstruction. But let's shift gears a bit now. Wondering your thoughts on music used in healthcare. You've been playing guitar since high school, so music's been part of your life for a while, and it's nice that you sometimes incorporate music in the surgery experience by having patients choose a song. What are your thoughts on music in general used in healthcare? Well, I mean, music's very important. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a music therapist, but I know that these things are used for therapy for various patients with other uh, issues that they might have to deal with. I often will play music in the operating room, and sometimes I play a little game to see if I have, without using one of the uh, services, to see if I actually have the the band or the song on my um, my phone or iPod back mm. in the day. And um, I did have three three guys coming for surgery one day, and independently they all picked ACDC. So I thought oh, that wow. I was on an ACDC hat trick. So that, <laughs> that's only happened once. But I do think people kind of relax a little bit when they're hearing a song that, that's pleasant for them. Um, and I think that music is an important part of mm -hmm. life in general, so uh, as are other arts. And, um, but I haven't studied that, and, and clearly there's a whole discipline of music therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think the, they can, these people who are those therapists can have a great effect in helping their patients. Yeah, I think it really helps improve the patient experience and psychologically lightens the mood for people. And it seems like there's a lot of people out there who can really help improve the injury recovery experience if they were to become more involved, like the sports psychologist, like I mentioned, and the music therapist. But before we wrap this up, wondering if you can share some of your favorite parts of your job as a surgeon and in your involvement with the Raptors and maybe talk a little bit about what drives you to do what you do. Thank you. Um, well, look, I like to help people. Um, I think at this stage of my career, it's my responsibility, my obligation. Uh, I have a student with me now from Kenya who's a surgeon. I've had surgeons uh, visit me from around the world who are students and we have residents at the university not just in surgery, but in other disciplines. Could be family practice, could be physiatry, um, you know. And so it's really my responsibility at this stage to, to teach other people and to share with them my experience and the things that I was very lucky and fortunate to learn from uh, many great doctors in my career. And it's now my time, my turn, to, to help the next generation and pass the baton uh, so that they can help their patients moving forward. So I kind of like to think of that because there's only a finite number of patients I can operate from now till the end of my career, whenever that might be. But if I can teach a number of other students how to do some of these techniques 
or how to treat patients or how to help them avoid surgery, as we talked about, mm -hmm. that they can maybe affect thousands of people yeah. and, and maybe they would take the charge to teach their students later. So mm -hmm. that's a nice way for me to think about it. Um, there's nothing that makes me happier to come to my clinic when someone says they, they had a, a treatment or surgery and they're back in action and they're doing quite well and you know they're, they're very happy with the process and, um, and, and that they're grateful that we kind of went and uh, assisted them because they still have to do a lot of work. It's a team effort, yeah. um, patient, therapist, surgeon, everyone on the team has to do their job and it's whoever's the weak, weak link, I think, that sometimes that the result can be equivalent to that. So if you have an excellent surgeon, patient doesn't do their therapy, maybe a bad result. Yeah. You have a terrible surgeon and great therapist, a great patient, maybe terrible results. So everybody has to do their job, and that's really important. And I think that just plays exactly into working with the MBA team, um, where everybody had to do their job. Players have to have trust. You have to make the right decisions. Therapists and trainers and massage people uh, all have to be there. We have to interact and communicate with many people on the team, including the coaching staff and training staff. And I think that's really important. So when everyone works as a team and you work towards the win, I, I think that feels amazing. Um, I will say that at, near the beginning of my career, I also worked with what they call track three and four skiers that were um, disabled skiers, either spina bifida or amputation uh, patients. And those were some of the most amazing athletes I've ever worked with. Wow. They were so independent. They were so um, encouraging mm -hmm. to the person because you say, look, do you want me to carry your equipment? No, I'm, I'm okay, doc. I have it. And I, I really found that such a motivation to see mm -hmm. patients who had some limitations or perceived limitations by others but in their own mind, they were overcoming those things. And to achieve high level of, of those athletes, I think, as again, that was probably some of the most rewarding work I've ever done in my whole career. Wow, super inspiring. Definitely sounds like it's been a very rewarding career so far, being able to impact so many people from future generations in healthcare to weekend warriors to athletes, including those with disabilities. And it's a good point you mentioned, I guess, to emphasize how it requires a team effort to be successful because sometimes it can be hard for people to be motivated to commit to months and months of intense rehab and I think it's really good for people to think of themselves as being part of a team where they have to do their part and they can't just rely solely on the surgeon for a successful outcome. So thank you so much for your time Dr. Marks. It was really great learning more about your journey and the insights you had to share. Thanks for helping to inspire and educate athletes and weekend warriors from across the globe recovering from sports injuries. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks for tuning in to this episode featuring Dr. Paul Marks. For more inspiration and to learn more from other athletes, weekend warriors, and healthcare professionals, visit Excelevation.com, X-E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N. We've brought together some of the most inspiring athletes and weekend warriors from across the globe to share their stories and experiences on the journey to the comeback.